What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Three Things Podcast. I'm super excited to announce one of my buddies, Connor Graham, for this episode. He's the new performance director at Redline Athletics in Cincinnati, Ohio. Him and I have a great conversation about baseball, training the baseball athlete, what it's like to be a new director of a new facility, and just kind of the uh, different things that he's been up to over the last couple months as he prepares for the launch of his new facility. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. And for more Three Things content, you can always go to www.coachcaseylee.com. So let's backtrack. Let's start this. Let's start with this. Um, just kind of give your name, you know, what you do, why you do it, where you're from, kind of a brief history. There is no right or wrong answer. I think you, you listen to the podcast. You kind of like know the gist. This is actually the first time I don't have anything written down. Um, super pumped because I, I mean, it's like I talk to people and like, I actually like know you. We've interacted, you know, like it's not. I don't have to like really prepare for people that I know. And I think yeah. you and I have a lot of commonalities that I want to pick your brain on. Um, so this might be over three things, which is going to be great. So Dude, I've been bugging you about that for, <laughs> you know, and, and since you said, I listened to the show, long time listener, first time caller, <laughs> I to every show haven't missed a single episode. My man. So I, uh, and that wasn't all cramming. To, to get ready for this. I've got, I subscribe, man. I get the notifications on the That's phone and everything. I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that. I really do. Well, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll tell you my background, I guess. Um, my name is Connor Graham. I am the director of sports performance at Redline Athletics in Cincinnati. Uh, we're technically in Westchester, um, which is a suburb just a little northeast uh, of Cincinnati. Uh, my background, um, I played college baseball at Miami of Ohio, and I was fortunate enough to uh, be able to play seven years professionally as well. Uh, I was with the uh, Colorado Rockies, uh, Cleveland Indians, and I played some indie ball as well, uh, Long Island Ducks, um, and Kansas City T-Bone. So I spent about seven years all over the country, um, and I didn't realize it until later in my career. Um, but my experience as a player is kind of what led me to this world of physical preparation, strength and conditioning, um, the, the youth athlete training. Uh, I had what turned into career ending, uh, shoulder surgery, uh, torn rotator cuff and labrum. Uh, and I found out a lot of the stuff I did as a player, uh, didn't help me out that much. Um, I didn't take the physical preparation side very seriously. I kind of coasted for a long time on just God-given talent. And that's basically what ended my career. So near the end, I started realizing like, man, I, I, I got I to gotta get working and find ways to still compete when I didn't have the same stuff I did before my injury. Um, so that kind of got me down this road. I started coaching more near the end of my career, doing lessons and just seeing even in half hour pitching lessons, you know, I know pitching instructors kind of get a bad rap a lot. Um, 
depending on their methods. But uh, seeing the impact that I can have, not only just on pitching performance, but you can impact a kid's life by not only talking about physical traits and all that, but you know, you ask kids about their day and you end up building relationships um, and you can, you can help mold them and, and make, make sports actually have a positive impact. Um, I'm looking at, I just, we, we ordered some books for staff development and um, inside out coaching uh, by Joe Ehrman was one of the books I was, uh, I read as an intern and um, trying to build transformational coaches rather than transactional coaches. Love that. Um, so seeing, seeing the impact that you can have, um, I kind of fell in love with that. And it, it just, there was a need in my area. No one really trained athletes um, intelligently. So I ended up going back to school right after surgery or right before I had surgery um, to get my degree in exercise science. And it's just been constantly trying to learn more since then. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I do, I, so I, you know, I, I, I don't know if you um, are familiar with Coach Fury, the Fury podcast. It's something that I, so I've been recording this whole time since you and I first started. I don't know if you even noticed the little red dot up in the top left of the screen, but um, uh, you know, if, I don't know how much of the intro I'll keep in on this, but one thing I want to start with, and it is, so there's kind of two folds, uh, the different ways I want to go. First is about baseball players. And this is something, you know, obviously it's baseball season. Um, we have a plethora of baseball players up in Northern Vermont. Um, and kind of just your experiences as a youth athlete to a professional or college athlete to a professional athlete to now someone who works with um, athletes, you know, whether it be pitching, whether it be strength conditioning, what is like, what was the biggest revelation for you when you kind of made the transition from athlete to coach in a sense of pitching, you know, like what are pitchers missing today that you are kind of, you know, you have kind of a leg up on given your experience. I think it's difficult with baseball because um, there's a lot of, I guess, dogmatic type training principles that have been around forever since baseball started. And it's really easy for coaches to fall into, well, this is what we did. So I'm sure, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this running polls forever. Um, you haven't seen me lately, but since I kind of, took the dive into powerlifting for myself, I have gotten really large <laughs> and um, I'm up to like, I, I just now dropped back down below 300 pounds um, and 300. I don't care that all that well. <laughs> well people can't <laughs> see you, but aren't yeah. you like six, seven? Yeah. 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 <laughs> just so people can three. Like, Connor's a full foot taller than me for the most part. You know, I'm like, I'm like a short five, eight, you know, or a short five, nine and Connor stands a full foot over me. So, uh, it's a little bit different, you know, you can't yeah. see him on the, on the podcast, but you, you get an idea. He's a big guy. So, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty big. Um, but most people wouldn't look at me and, and think that no one, no one ever guesses that that's what, what I'd weigh. When I was in college, I weighed 232 pounds for most of my freshman year. Um, and I had to do really unhealthy things to maintain that weight. Um, and we just ran and ran and ran. Now, the strength and conditioning, we, we got after in the weight room, which I know that that was an amassment. But you still see that now where I think coaches just don't know what to do with the pitchers. Hey, go run pulse. So that's, that's something that I'm still battling um, to this day where 
that's that's what the training is for the pitching staff. They'll throw and then just go run poles. Um, and I think another thing is pitchers aren't fragile little porcelain dolls. I mean, you can train hard. You can train hard in season. Um, and if done intelligently, especially for the younger athletes, they, it's not even a maintenance phase in season. If you do it properly, you can gain strength in season. Um, and what, what I see a lot of is, and I know you probably do too, you get kids in for an off season and then they disappear and then they show back up again five months later. And it's like, damn, we're, we're starting from square one, one again. Um, so educating coaches and parents about how we trained in college, the, which was mostly the majority of it was, was awesome. And then how you train as a professional, I'm not saying you have to train kids like professional athletes, but if a big league pitcher can lift weights twice in between starts. So every they pitch five man rotation, if they're, they can strength train twice in between that and position players can still strength train, you get one off day a month. I'm pretty sure high school athletes can, can train in season. Um, and you're not going to overtrain the, the, the playing volume, the practice volume is nowhere near that to, to cause that. So I think that's one, um, one thing I'm seeing. And then and I'm not trying to you know, piss anybody off with this, but it's okay. I like pissing people. Yeah. Off. You're, you're ready. You're, I know what you're going for here. You're waiting, <laughs> waiting for me to start talking about the weighted balls, aren't you? No, I don't know enough <laughs> about that shit, man. I don't, you know, like that's something that like, I, I pretty much stick to barbell. I don't throw, I don't do any of that. You know, we yeah. see a lot of pitchers, but you know, like for me, the biggest, the biggest question that I come, I'm trying to pull out is like, what, you know, being a pitcher and having been a pitcher and work, I'm assuming you work with a lot of throwers, you know, like what is, what are some of the main staples that you do that you may not have been doing or did when you were a player? I did not work on quality mobility training. Um, I never, and I, maybe I just didn't know any better, but I never remember being told that lead leg hip internal rotation is going to affect my health as a pitcher um, and potentially affect the quality of my stuff. Um, I, I never heard the term thoracic spine until I was in school. <laughs> um, and I, I think I was, I was in that era where everybody was down and back with the shoulder blades, down and back, down and back, down and back. Um, and it got to the point where I'm pretty sure that probably contributed to some of my, my shoulder issues. Um, because that's just what, and it wasn't just me. It was, that's what everyone did. You, you were cued when doing any type of shoulder movement. This is the safe position for the shoulder. Um, and we didn't really talk about or focus on the fact that you need to have controlled range of motion, scapulothoracic to, to give, your humorous, the ability to uh, get into positions to, to have quality stuff and stay healthy. Yeah. Um, so I think those were the things that um, the education is better. A lot of people are doing that now. Um, so we're, we're moving in the right direction. Um, I just, I think I had bad timing. My parents, they had me too, too early. <laughs> well, what about the weighted balls? You want to, you want to tell me? Yeah, that? no, no, I do want to jump into that. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> Let's hear it. We're, we live in a society that wants the quick fix. I mean, there's a pill for everything. Um, weighted balls can work. There's, there's a time and place to use 
those implements and they've been around forever. People act like this is brand new stuff. Um, track and field has been using over and underweight implement implements and throwing sports for freaking ever. Yep. Um, so it's not like anybody just invented this five years ago. Um, the thing that I think that people don't listen to the, the companies that really promote that and push that people don't look deep enough to see that guys, the, the base is strength and mobility. There's, there's tests, there's mobility tests that guys get put through. And if they don't pass those, do you think they're doing running guns with a three ounce baseball? No, it's not happening. But all parents and kids and coaches see is some guy hitting 115 with a three ounce ball curl hopping into a net, but they don't understand that he's been working on hip mobility. He's got quality thoracic spine mobility. He's got good scapular rhythm and it allows his arm to get into a position where he can handle stuff like that. And he probably squats and deadlifts and does unilateral work and quality core. Tra- I mean, people get pissed off about the core training terminology, whatever you want to call it. I don't really care. Um, but they, all those are part of the equation. But then everyone sees the, you know, one fifth of the program that's, or maybe even less one, one third of the, or, um, 5% of the program that's aggressive weighted ball throwing. Yeah. The Instagram highlight reel. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same thing that we see too. No one posts the videos of their, their prep sets before they do a heavy deadlift. They, right. they post the heavy deadlift. I do the same thing. <laughs> no, one, no, one wants to, no one wants to see me pulling 135, but I do it for a couple of sets before I work up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's not an end all be all. It's not the whole program. It's a part of a program that for some people works really, really well for other people. It's not a good fit. It's just like, you know, you use Fusionetics, you use FMS, whatever, or your own type of screen. You do a movement screen, you're going to find athletes like, hmm, you know, I don't know if barbell squatting is going to be a great idea yet. It doesn't mean it will, won't be down the road but maybe we're going to do some anterior loaded goblet squats and maybe more single leg work or whatever the case may be, whatever route you want to go to get them to that point. I think the weighted balls can be viewed the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things like whether it be mobility training, sports specific stuff, it follows the same overload principles that everything else in the weight room does. I think people like you, you hit the nail on the head with everyone wants the one quick fix and how do you get your velocity up? Well, I saw that this weighted ball program worked for this professional athlete who's double my age. You know, let's give that a whirl. It's not yeah. the same thing. Yeah, and, and just like any type of uh, I mean, a program design stuff, there's people that like triphasic, and there's people that only want to do velocity-based. There's people, why just do one? Yeah. Why not, why not learn from all these different people who are, they're really smart and find the pieces that can fit into your program and to fit for each athlete. You don't, you don't have to limit yourself to, um, I'm going to read this one book and I'm only going to do this for everybody. Yeah. Find, yep. find what fits the athlete where they are now. And you'll, you'll notice a lot of people get to the point where they can start using weighted balls. 
There you go. Everyone listening, go back 30 seconds and just listen to what Connor said. Cause that's, that's the nugget of the first, the first thing. There you go. Um, See, that's, that's what I wanted to hear. I just wanted it to is. That. It's been, you know, I went on a little phase where I wasn't telling people to go back, but I, I, <laughs> you listen on iTunes or, you know, on an iPhone, just push that little 15 second button about three times and uh, just re-listen to that. Uh, coach, second question for you. Um, you like you, you alluded to, you're like a, a competitive power lifter. Um, I wouldn't say competitive. You're com- you <laughs> compete in powerlifting. You're a competitive powerlifter. Yeah, what has, like, how important is it for a coach to compete? You know, like, yes, you were an athlete, a high-level competitive athlete, but someone who does teach the iron game to others, how important is it that a coach competes and kind of stays, stays relevant in just competing in general, you know, when working with athletes? I'd say I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think that coaches should train. We should have an idea of the, the stimulus we're giving our athletes. Um, but for me, it was a piece that was missing. I, I've been a competitor my whole life. So that's, I enjoy training. And, and it seemed like, you know what, this, this could be fun. Let's, let's do it. And I ended up falling in love with it. Um, it doesn't have to be powerlifting. It doesn't have to be, maybe it's um, obstacle course stuff. Maybe if you train for something, I feel like I'm, I'm staying a little bit closer to what my athletes are feeling. You know, I can relate to them. I can, you know, it, it, it makes it easy because you're going to have a kid come in someday and maybe she's like, man, I'm just, I'm just a little worn down. You're like, oh, gosh, I'm feeling the same way this week. You know, I made some adjustments to my program. Let's do the same thing for you. You know, we can kind of take, take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit and let you recover. And they, I think they like that they can, they can relate to the fact that you're doing it as well. Um, a lot of my athletes like to laugh when they look at the videos from the meets of me in a singlet, which it's pretty comical. Um, I will make sure when I post a picture on Instagram <laughs> that that picture of you in a singlet gets to the cover. That's um, bad. Thank you that's for that, and you're welcome, yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. I've got a face <laughs> for radio. You're killing me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think if if you value needing to compete, I think that's awesome. I also think you got to be careful. I, I tweaked my back a little bit a couple weeks ago. At the end of the day, it's not about us anymore. Yep. Um, my day has come and gone. It, it's about my athletes. So obviously staying healthy enough to where I can demo any type of exercise I'd ever have to for somebody, um, that's pretty important. But um, I think for, for athletes and, and coaches and parents, it, it does show that you know, they're, they're still training themselves. And then they know what my, my kid's going through. Um, they can relate to it. I don't know if I answered that. I started. No, that's perfect. I actually thought you were going to say something different when you started with saying it's not, you don't think it's necessary. I was like, Ooh, not, not what I expected, but um, no, I like it. I mean, you touched on like what values are important to you. And if, if something like that, if, or if something is of value to you, then, you know, obviously you're going to find a way to do it, but um, everyone's different. And then the second piece there is, you know, as a coach, it's not about us anymore. It's, it's about our athletes. And I think that gets overlooked in today's industry um, with a lot of people really focused on themselves and kind of plays into that. The first piece you said, we were talking about, well, I'm a, this guy, I'm a, I'm a power lifter. So all my athletes train and they're power lifters too. And it's like, well, 
Yeah. Yeah, it's probably not the right or the best way to, to get to point B, but uh, you know, that's kind of what happens in, in, you know, that's why it's important you find a good coach. Um, and now I want to dive in third thing. And this is, this one's going to be a couple of, it's not like there's more than three on this episode. Um, talk, about. talk to me about your transition from going from a coach to now being the director of a facility. Like what are some things that are on your mind? What do you, you know, like what is kind of on your radar as you make that jump from, you know, more of, you know, like a technician in the trenches to someone who's still obviously going to be in the trenches because you're a coach and that's what you're going to do. But now you're the leader of, of other individuals. Like what's kind of been on your radar? Um, frightened a little bit, to be honest with you. It's, uh, um, I'm honestly looking at it almost similar to about nine years ago. I did not have children. Everything was about me. Um, I, well, I, I was an athlete, so, you know, I had teammates that I, that were counting on me. So they, that's similar, but nothing can compare to, I have human lives counting on me. Um, now I had to hire a staff. I'm still in the process of kind of rounding out the staff. They're depending on me, not only for their development, their continued ed- education, but their income, their jobs, their, um, hopefully them loving their jobs. And, um, I just saw you had something about burnout on was it Instagram today. I think you posted yeah. something like I, I never want a coach to think that I was a cause for them to want to either leave my facility in a bad way. Some people move on and that's fine, but I don't want someone to be like, God, I hate this place. Connor sucks and I'm out. Um, and just the, the industry itself, I don't want someone just being so burnt out because of hours or um, not enjoying what they're doing. So that's, that's an enormous stress that I think I knew. I talked to you a little bit about it. I've talked to some other coaches that have done this transition as well. So I kind of, I knew that was going to happen um, and I was going to have those feelings, but nothing compares to, to going through it. Um, one of my coaches starts next week and I'm overthinking every minute of staff training because it, it matters to me this um i want to build a culture that first of all coaches love coming to work and i want athletes to not want to leave i want i want it to be their third space they have home they have school and they have our facility um so that's that's a lot of pressure that you know i'm putting on myself but um it, it's definitely driving me to make sure that i've got my ducks in a row and I'm kind of preparing for scenarios that could come up. So that's definitely, uh, definitely part of it. Yeah. What about operationally? What, um, what kind of caught you off guard? Um, you know, just kind of with the build out process, I saw a picture you, it looked like you had equipment in your own garage, like, or was that delivered to the facility? Like what, like what caught you off guard? Like, kind of pull back the curtains a little bit for some of us that, you know, might be listening and and kind of, you know, be going through a program design phase or looking to make a jump to more of a management position and have to take on more like operational back end of the business type work. What's talked a little bit about that. Luckily, some things aren't really, they they don't fall under my responsibility. Uh, We have two, um, two owners that are handling the business side of, things for the most part, not completely, um, but calling to get quotes for batting cages, turf, equipment. Um, 
it, you start realizing pretty quickly that, wow, this is not a cheap endeavor. This is, <laughs> uh, and, you know, as, as an employee, you're, you're looking at it for yourself. You want to make a good pay and all this stuff. And then you start looking at you know, the amount of capital that goes into getting this off the ground. And now I'm like, you know what? I want to, yeah, I want to make good money. I, I want to do really well. And I want the place hopping and full of athletes. But at the same time, I've got a responsibility to our owners because me to make this place amazing. And they've, they've put a lot on the line for that. Um, so you start realizing pretty quickly, you know, we all complain, Oh, I wish I had this equipment. I wish I had this. Wow. I want a gym aware. I want a 1080 sprint. So you got to work pretty hard to be able to have these um, pieces of equipment. I mean, I'm, pump for a trap bar i'm because you look at that might have been the most meathead answer you could ever (laughs) you just like priced out like all this like high-tech equipment that all of a sudden you're just like man i'm just pumped um so that's one thing that and then you then you also realize you're doing a lot of this on your own obviously i'm not building the place um we've got contractors taking care of all that but um Myself and, and John, one of one of our owners, moved over nineteen thousand pounds of turf and rubber into the facility with a hand operated pallet jack the other day. Um, Fuck that! It, this it is was, an explicit podcast. <laughs> don't worry about don't worry about curse words. I mean, that was. You always hear people talk about. It. I I listen to podcasts a ton. I've always had long commutes, and you hear gym owners talking about it's you like it's on you. There's no one else that's going to come in and clean. There's no one else that's going to clean up the kid's hot dog puke because he ate skyline chili Cincinnati right before he came to train. Um, it's you, you're the one doing those things. So, um, that's been, and, and I'm just getting started cause we got, <laughs> we got a lot of work to do in the, in the next month. So that's another thing that, um, What's some unique flair that you're going to bring? Like, you know, like this is something that I always love talking to directors because you do kind of get to influence culture and, and kind of like that environment. And, and I, I mean, like you played like the ultimate camaraderie sport, you know, like bullpen squad, you know, like baseball, everyone, like baseball, like games are like some of my most favorite to watch because it's so animated. What, what's kind of the Connor Graham flair that you want to bring to this facility? <laughs> um, I know you've thought about it too, so don't say you don't know because I know you've thought about it. No, I, well, here's the thing. I'm a clown anyways. Um, I want to have fun. In, in the private sector, people are paying for our service. It's not the college setting where you have to be here at this time, and if you're not here, you're going to do butcher or you're going to run or whatever. It's a different situation. The kids want it. They have to want to spend time with you. I mean, Mike Boyle talks about and when we got the, the uh, certification talk on Facebook, whatever, a few weeks back, month, month ago, whenever that was, um, he's looking for a CNP, a certified nice person, because they got to have fun. So first of all, I'm just going to keep being myself because I'm an idiot and I'm a child. Um, you are a pleasure to be around. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of people that disagree, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to change their minds. Um, <laughs> I know one thing that I never got off the ground before at, at a place I, I worked previously. Um, athletes leave their workouts on the ground all the time. No matter how many times you tell them not to, the, you, people will leave stuff out. And I don't like exercise for punishment at all. I, I refuse to do that. I don't, 
I don't think it works or it makes sense. Um, but what I want to do, and I always said I was going to do it and I never, I never stuck to my word. If you do that, you get to stand on a plyo box. I will bring my guitar and I'll participate, but you have to sing a Disney, Disney song in front of everybody. Wow. And I never did it. And that would have been awesome. Wow. That's pretty legit. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, it's not, I think it's more impressive that you can play the guitar to like all those Disney theme songs. Like that's the first thing that jumped in my mind is this six foot seven (laughs) dude holding the guitar and all of a sudden can just rattle off all these Disney theme songs. That's how you know you have kids. Uh, Yeah. I I hope that gets put on Instagram. I look forward to that video. Yeah. I'll have to, now it's out there. I've I've got people to hold me accountable. (laughs) So, I will, uh, when I make a teaser, I'm going to make a second one and it's going to be you saying that and I'm going to DM <laughs> it right to the Redline Instagram account. Oh God. For everyone to see. I'll have to, I'll have to put that in the waiver though to make sure that parents <laughs> sign off on it so I don't get pissed off parents trying to sue me because they made, I made their kids sing. But and they didn't know the words. <laughs> awesome. Oh man. But yeah. And that's, and another thing too, I want it to be authentic, the, the culture. Um, you know, I, that's going to be a big part of what our athletes do too. Um, I think if I come in and try to create some, you know, non-authentic thing, kids see through that. I mean, they see through all the bullshit. I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take long. Um, so letting them set it, you know, giving them some ownership and, um, how things happen. I think that's pretty important. It's, you know, building autonomy, especially at that age, you know, we're going to give them confidence with what we're doing anyways. And then, then you give them some ownership in it too. And it can be pretty powerful. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I look forward to it. Um, Connor Graham, where can people find out more information about you, more information about your endeavors with Redline or just more Connor Graham in general? <sighs> Instagram is usually where I'm most active uh, at coach underscore underscore yeti because someone else took coach underscore yeti that's messed up so that guy he actually followed me too though so probably <laughs> that's not that's respectable i, mean, I respect that let me a nice guy um and uh redlineathletics.com um you can find redline athletics westchester on facebook you can find me on facebook too but i'm i, I need help with facebook <laughs> <laughs> like dude i I'm old. I didn't jump onto the whole in, like social media thing. And I should have done it when I was a pro athlete. I could have had a bunch of followers. Now all my yeah, man. Have, now they have 15 times more followers than me and they laugh at me for it. So whatever. Damn. But those, those, those will be some good places um, to learn a little bit more. That's awesome. I'll make sure all that information gets into the show notes. Of course, I'll make sure there's a funny teaser of all the video clips that you just said. Um, and Connor Graham coach, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for jumping on. Casey, you're the man DJ two scoops. Whoa. Thank you. <laughs> I, it, this is an honor. Um, you've had some unbelievable guests and I'm, I'm proud to be the dumbest of all of them. So well, thank I you. look forward to round two with you in the near future. Nice.